1: Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here with a special episode this week. We are joined by Dr. Jacqueline M. Corey Westland. Um, How are you doing?
2: Doing great. Thanks for having me on.
1: No problem. I'm super excited to have you on. So this episode, we are going to talk about uh, something that I think a lot of listeners are interested in, and frankly, I'm interested in, but really don't know all that much about, which is... Robotics and specifically human, um, kind of human society and just humans in general's interactions with robotics. So the thing that kind of kicked things off for this episode was we did an episode on um, the Cats movie, that like the trailer that came out and everyone was so freaked out about the, you know how human like and weirdly, um, the when the trailer came out, people were really weirded out by the kind of how human-like those, those cats were, but still somewhat off. And it had us do kind of a discussion about around the Uncanny Valley and this idea that as mimics of humans start to get, or things that are supposed to mimic human-like features and attributions, as they get closer and closer to being able to do that, there's a portion where they become, if you, you start to have negative feelings about them. They make you feel some like almost an ennui or something, right? Like an angst Um, before then it starts to come back again. And then you feel comfortable with the human-like robot or human-like image. And so we wanted to talk about robotics and just kind of talk about how humans interact with robots and everything else. And that's really what your background is in. So uh, why don't you give listeners a little bit of an idea of kind of where you're coming from, what your background was in terms of education and everything else, and what brought you to study this?
2: So my background um, is in a lot of different things, actually, fairly fairly multidisciplinary. Um, My bachelor's was in cognitive science, which I picked because I wanted to know how people work. I did not learn how people work. I learned that there's a lot of questions out there, still not quite as many answers as I was open for. Um, And one of my research experiences as an undergrad was with a professor who did a lot of stuff with robots. Um, I ended up spending a year working on human emotion. Uh, I've done a lot of different things. I ended up in grad school at the MIT Media Lab, um, working in a social robotics or human-robot interaction lab with Cynthia Brazil, uh, the personal robots group. And my research there focused on how young children can interact and learn from social robots, but also how they think about them. Because robots are a new technology in the kinds of technology that we interact with every day. Hmm. I mean, there's there's some robot vacuum cleaners out there. We're starting to see a lot of voice agents and voice assistants. Like, hmm. think Alexa, Google Home. Like, these are everywhere. There's like 50 million Alexas installed in people's homes or Amazon Echoes. Um, but... Robots are still more in the realm of research, at least when it comes to robots in homes Sure. that are not just for entertainment. Um, yes, there's a few out there now, but they're not, they're not out there at the scale of the voice agents and, or factory robots.
1: Got it. Okay. So, yeah. so, so first off, I guess, why don't you give us a little bit of an intro? Er, I think when people hear robots, so my, um, so my research was in nanotechnology. Mm-hmm. And one thing that always came up was this idea of like a nanobot. And it always, mm. I thought it was really funny because you'd have groups. This wasn't so much, you know, research groups in serious labs or anything else, but you had people who would hear what you did and ask like, well, how close are we to nanobots? You know what I mean? Or things like that. And it's kind of, yeah. to me, always been a bit of a misnomer because when I think of a robot, at least I think of, I sort of think of multiple moving parts that don't just do, like, one thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, a, like to me, a like a, let's say, like, a pulley and a winch wouldn't be a robot, right? Mm-hmm. But how do you draw that line? What would you define? How would you define a robot versus, say, just a machine?
2: I don't think there's a huge difference when you just use the word robot. Okay. I mean, in the field that I'm in, human-robot interaction, like, we qualify the word robot with other words, so like social robot is a common term that we use to talk about the robots that I work with, okay, or factory robot is the kind of robot that you'd find i don't know in a warehouse somewhere or like building cars because mm-hmm. um, a robot is a machine
1: sure, sure i guess I guess what i'm wondering is so there's something though or i don't know for some reason in my mind at least, and maybe this is completely maybe this is just a, dif- a difference without cause or you know whatever but In my mind, at least, a robot suggests something like a central processing unit or something that can be altered, right, that it can can do multiple things or that it has Mm -hmm. some kind of, I don't know, it has some kind of brain, right, as opposed to it just being like, um, at least in the world of nanotech, let's say, you know, uh, a particle that's been coated with some kind of peptide or something, that means that it'll adhere to certain um, disease agents or cancer cells or whatever, Right? Like that's not a robot, that's just kind of good engineering. I think
2: you're thinking robot implies something about a central process, a central I don't know if I'd wanna call it a brain, because that implies a lot about biology. Yeah, but Um, kind kind of. um, Something about autonomy, perhaps? Mm -hmm. Or something being programmed to do certain kinds of behaviors? Like yeah, it
1: doesn't I guess I guess what I would say is but again, maybe this is just a difference. Maybe this is just because of the media fields.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like maybe this yeah. is just because of what I expect robots to be. Right. Um, Cause what I was about to say was I would think that a robot would be able to perform its function or get it, or figure out how to do its function kind of regardless of the situations I placed it in. But then I think about my vacuum, my robot vacuum cleaner. And I remember all the times that it's gotten like stuck on carpet. It'd been like, I cannot do anything about this. I am now dead. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so I, so that's kind of an interesting distinction. But so you also make through these distinctions between a social robot and maybe kind of a like a working robot, and I think that distinction is a little bit more clear to me at least. But in terms of social robots, um, I, some what are some of the things that are it, it's what are some of the goals or the applications that are hoped that they'll be able to achieve? Let's say.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also one point on the previous. Even roboticists in my field don't agree on what the word robot is. You can find us at conferences debating what's the definition of a robot. Okay. So it's even not clear among people who work with robots for for a living. So even they will debate, like, what counts as a robot? Where do you draw the line?
1: Sure. For sure. sure.
2: So social robots. um, There are a lot of different places that social robots can see. Let's, Let's talk actually for a second about what a social robot actually is because I think that's unclear probably for a lot of listeners because they're like, well, what, what, what makes a robot social? What does social even mean? Um, And it's a robot that is designed and built to interact with people in ways that people find more natural and easy to deal with, like human-like ways of communication. So they use, I'd say human social cues like gaze or gesture or posture or language or speech Hmm. to, help people understand what the robot is trying to do and help people with whatever task they're trying to accomplish with that robot. So unlike a factory robot, which is programmed to do, you know, it's, it's going to move this screw over there. It's going to screw that thing in. It's going to move this there. Like there's nothing in how that factory working robot um, is made to make it like really understandable to a human, what that robot is doing or what it's trying to do, what its goals are, what it was programmed to do. um, so the difference with a social robot is that the robot is designed with humans in mind mm-hmm. with the goal of having humans around that robot and inter- interact with that robot.
1: Interesting. Okay.
2: So the application areas are, I mean, anywhere where people are, but some of the big ones are areas where in society, they're kind of like large gaps to fill because of personnel challenges, because of people leaving professions like healthcare or education, mental health, um, aging populations like these are kind of some of like the big challenges that society has in general and so bringing anything in that we can to help kind of fill the personnel gap to help people with the challenges that people have um those are places where social robots are being researched a lot so like education healthcare um robots that will help um there's some like collaborative like workplace type applications on um, my expertise is in education obviously and okay
1: sure so that so that's it's interesting from um kind of I guess from a historical and I suppose philosophical viewpoint right I mean if you hmm. think about what right the I guess kind of the it would appear that the central promise of robots or what the central um just the central promise of machines, I guess, is the ability to kind of scale work in a way that isn't possible or is not as easy and clean with a lot of humans, you know? So, I mean, if you think like Henry Ford um, introducing kind of a mechanized building process to his uh, car factories, right, found a way to scale up car production um, with humans and then replacing those humans with robots, um, right, it, it kind of gets rid of a, a job class that maybe can be done in that way but leaves humans. But in the same way though, that didn't kind of I think have the promise philosophically that we would always hoped for which was – or at least in my mind was always hoped for which would be technology would take over some of these kind of more menial tasks and leave humans available to do – leisure activities i guess or Mm -hmm. more creative activities right i mean if you think about kind of the jetsons right as the kind of pinnacle of (laughs) robotic goals um the robots are doing all the kind of jobs that we would think you know factory jobs and service jobs and everything else and then the jetsons appear to be living in a society of of great wealth and great um just kind of great leisure and everything else but but that doesn't really seem to have been the case right at least at least in terms of the robots that have been used to take over factory jobs. It just, you know, those people were displaced and maybe we're still in that period of displacement, Mm -hmm. but I'm wondering, I'm wondering though, with social robots, right. The same kind of thing I think might, I would imagine would happen, right. Which is, um, I mean, let's take like nursing, for example, right. Um, If there are nurses that can, I mean, there are some jobs that I think people would argue Um, A robot could never take over. What do you think about arguments like that? Let's say nursing or or education. Education is probably a better example because it's more your kind of, you know, your kind of Mm -hmm. background and wheelhouse. But what would you say to someone who thinks that, you know, you could never say replace um, a teacher with a robot?
2: I mean that's a good question and we've gotten that from teachers when we say when we when we've taken robots to preschools and say hey can we like run a study in your classroom the teachers like but are you are you trying to build a robot that's going to take my job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we say no no that's not what we're trying to do at all um, <laughs> so it's a it's a it's where people have because of the media portrayal of robots I mean think like th- name off the top of your head. Three movies that have robots in them. Is it gonna be like Terminator?
1: Yeah, no, Wars, it's not but, good. I mean, Star Wars is probably the most positive portrayal of
2: robots, yes. maybe. <laughs> yes, but otherwise, Big Hero right? This is another one. Big Hero Six has a pretty good. Oh robot.
1: sure, sure, yeah. Otherwise, it's but like robots. Robots taking over, right? Now, yeah, everything's
2: robots taking over. Terminator is the one that comes up the most. Uh huh. So there's this huge media portrayal in the U.S. in particular. That robots are negative. They're gonna take our jobs. They're taking they're taking over, whatever. And when you talk to people who actually build robots, the goal is not to replace people.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, like mm-hmm.
2: in education, like we're not trying to build robots that are gonna take teachers' jobs. Instead, we're looking at the fact that in education, say um, when it comes to like, language and literacy, like kids' reading skills. Are, pro- are huge predictors of their academic success in schools, in formal education.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But, like, fewer than – I don't know what the stats are off the top of my head. Like, fewer than two-thirds of American children reach, like, proficiency at, like, literacy proficiency. Like, whether um, – so in education, you know, kids, like, their reading skills are mm-hmm. huge. Um, like, reading is – One of the predictors of success in formal education, but only a third of American children are reaching basic levels of literacy and two thirds fail to reach proficiency levels of literacy commensurate with like deep reading comprehension processes, critical analysis, inferential reasoning, which are tend tend to be necessary for higher paying professions. Um, Children who fail to read adequately in first grade have like a 90% probability of reading poorly in fourth grade too, and a 75% probability of reading poorly in high school. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these stats kind of show that early intervention in reading, in literacy, and language development is really critical. Um, but when it comes to like, say, access, Only 40% of U.S. children attend a quality preschool program prior to entering kindergarten. So, like, okay, so people are like, oh, just get more kids into preschools. Like, spend more on teacher education. Make more parent programs that help parents figure out what they're supposed to be doing with their kids. Like, we've been putting money into that as a society, but that hasn't fixed the problem yet. Mm -hmm. And technology is one way that's scalable, often affordable, and accessible as an intervention that could perhaps address part of this big problem in society.
3: Got it. So that's okay. the kind
2: of thing motivating, like the research in my group or the group I was in at MIT. Like we're developing social robots that are going to help fill a gap in society that people can't fill. We're not replacing people who are there; there just aren't people there. So we're saying, okay, maybe we can use some technology to augment what people are doing to facilitate human connections with each other, to serve as practice partners for children, like when it comes to like language and storytelling abilities and stuff, so, like vocabulary, like the robots are not replacing the teachers. Like actually, um, we've interviewed teachers as part of some of our projects, like preschool teachers, like what what would you want? If you had technology in your classroom, if you had a robot, what would you want it to do? And they're like, that would be awesome. We would like it to help kids learn some social skills. We'd like it to help them learn vocabulary. Maybe they could help them learn how to share. Um, like They're thinking of the as a tool that they can use in their classrooms to help the kids learn skills that they need to learn. Um, and give the teachers like the time and energy to like provide more individual attention to specific children. You know, they're thinking of it as one more thing that they can use, one more tool in their toolbox.
1: Got it. okay. so it's not right, right? so what so, like what you're saying then, it would be something like um, or maybe one good example or one interesting example might be something like um, you have this student population that's currently being underserved in terms of the ability, like so, for instance, during grad school, and even, even for the last couple of years, even I've tutored on the side, right? So I, I tutor is mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, it started off as kind of a nice way to make extra money. And then now it's sort of a, it's sort of been a fun way to like challenge my you know, I don't know. It's weird. I yeah. like it. I like tutoring. Right. And so, yeah. but, but again, but tutoring is like, tutoring is, a, is a, as a service is limited generally, unless you are willing to kind of, you know, give your time for free or do charity work or whatever, it's limited to students that. You know, frankly, in the first place, probably didn't need the tutor anyways because they're getting so much extra attention mm. at home and they're in better schools and everything else. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, this might be a way, say, for instance, to introduce extra learning opportunities or extra training opportunities to students who are underserved now because there just aren't people willing to do the job for the prices that are needed. Mm. Right. Is that kind of a yeah. good example of something yeah. like this? Okay. Sure. Yeah. So I wonder I, – so that's really interesting. I wonder – I wonder how you get – how do you get over that gap though of people thinking? Because I mean the, the thing is too, right? Even though if – even if the initial plan or the goal isn't to displace people, um, inevitably I think that's – it's going to be an easy target for people to say
3: mm-hmm.
1: I've been displaced by robots. You know? And I mean it's but it's been it's kind of been the continuous thing since um you know one of the most common I guess tropes uh like racist tropes or xenophobic tropes throughout history has been, right? Like they take the they took our jobs. right? Mm-hmm. Um I wonder what happens when it's not a, a society or not a race of people or not um a social group or whatever, but when it's robots. Right? Like yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah um It's so interesting. How do you – so how do you overcome, I guess, that gap that people have, I think, instinctively that if you're replacing humans – not replacing humans, but if you are um, putting machines into roles, even if there's no people there now, I think people's knee-jerk reaction would be, well, like you said, why aren't there people there now? Shouldn't there be? If there's Mm -hmm. unemployment, why don't we just put the unemployed there?
2: Mm. I mean there's – there's often there's a couple things I want to say to that. One is why well, why aren't there people there now? Like, well, there's it's expensive sometimes to train people up for whatever mm-hmm. jobs they're are lacking. Um, but where we've been going with our research has been in the direction of well, the robots are adding something of value that that we aren't getting otherwise, mm-hmm. or that you can get. So here here's an example. Um, so like. Parents often read books with their kids. Sometimes they read them on a tablet like store like digital books. Mm-hmm. And one beneficial behavior when you're reading books with a kid to help them learn vocabulary and understand language and like promote language development is to ask questions about what you're reading. Um, but a lot of parents don't do that for whatever reason. Maybe it's because it's their second language. Maybe they just don't know that they should be doing that. They're like, okay, we're getting through the book. That's great. So, when a virtual character was added to a digital storybook that modeled beneficial reading and question asking things, behaviors, you know, like asked questions, parents started doing that more themselves. And then you could, you know, probably take the character out later and the parents will just keep remembering, Well, oh, I haven't asked questions about this. This is fun, it's engaging with my kid, and the kids learning more. Mm-hmm. So like, we can use technology to augment and support and facilitate in ways that we might not otherwise get. And that's that's one simple example. Like we've also seen um With a robot, a small, cute, fluffy teddy bear robot um, that was designed to help kids when they are in hospitals for a long time. The robot's participation in a conversation between a child and their caregiver and their parent, having a robot in there too, led to more socially energetic conversations. It increased the positivity of the conversation. It increased the interaction among everyone else there. Huh. so, like there's things that the robot can provide or can like it can facilitate human human connection too. so it's not necessarily the robot's taking a job that a human could otherwise do. so that's one one direction that we can go okay. thinking about technology coming in. I have one other direction, but you can comment on that first.
1: Well, so uh, that's really interesting. I mean I in me so let me just i'm gonna yeah. add, I'm like i'm like i'm I am active reading now myself uh-huh. um, <laughs> make sure I yeah. understood the vocabulary that we just said um so okay, what you're saying is that when a robot is present, it makes the human human interaction more positive
2: it can depending okay. on how you design it
1: ah, okay, got it, okay, that's really interesting i you know hmm. Part of me wonders almost if that is because the robot – I wonder I wonder what effect is – I wonder what effect there is if the robot gets more and more human-like.
3: Yeah.
1: Like as you start to add <laughs> things like um, – because I'm just thinking – I'm just thinking personally mm-hmm. about even talking to people online. Right. I'm, you know, it's really easy to miss social cues online mm-hmm. because there is no, you know, there's no sarcasm button. There's no um, rolling of the eyes. You know, I mean, there's emojis now, right, which I guess kind of help,
3: mm-hmm. but
1: you miss a lot of those social cues that you have. Yeah. I wonder if not having, um, I wonder if not having those social cues there lets people just express themselves better. I don't know. That's weird. These
2: robots though, we are designing them to have a lot of social cues, maybe not as many as a human, but probably more than just text on a screen.
1: Sure. But you know, you know what I'm saying though, right? Like I wonder as, as yeah, like there's there's
2: something different about the interaction. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if,
1: if you kind of had a way to like scale up, let's say like, you know, I don't know, a a teddy bear with, or without eyebrows or something. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder what effect that would have on the output, but that's super interesting. Okay. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that's angle one, I guess. Give me, give me angle two.
2: Another reason I think people are really concerned when it comes to like robots taking their jobs, people taking their jobs, whatever. When robots, like compared to other technology, like, I feel like robots kind of hit a sweet spot when it comes to like people's concern about technology. Because like other things, like, like we're not thinking computers are going to come take our jobs. It's robots. It's not like computers. It's not tablets. It's not other stuff. It's robots because of something about how. I think it's about a uh, uh, fears about robots are kind of more existential. Sure, we don't want to be replaced by something. Like we like robots, kind of encroach on our uniqueness in that you know we are we're human. We can use language. We have a sophisticated social cues. Like social intelligence is above that of other animals, and all this great stuff that makes humans special. And robots, unlike other technology, can kind of come closer to human like than any other kind of technology or art or representation of humans that is out there.
1: Well, it's sort of I, I agree with you actually. I think that it I think that it and I think you made a really good point um, with that. I the I think the kind of quintessential image a lot of people have in their minds about this stuff. And I think you've made a really good point about the kind of existential dread. And I I kinda wanna get into that a little bit more here. Because this is a podcast and we hope you get existential tread on your drive to work. I guess. <laughs> uh, we're just really hoping for ennui, right? That's really the feeling we're always going for. Um, I'm thinking about in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when his dad's job is taken over. The new one, mm-hmm. he was the guy that put the little screws onto the – like the caps onto the um, onto the toothpaste thing. Right and then a robot comes and takes the job and does it better and mm-hmm. replaces him and everyone else in the factory. And then he goes off and doesn't have a job anymore. I, I actually wonder if it's not like kind of a still holdover response to industrialization where um, like, what, what must it feel like? What must it be like personally? And I don't think I would take this very well personally to find out that the, the job you've done a thing that you've built some identity around and, mm-hmm. Um, provided for for your family. I mean, you're essentially like a wrench, right? You're essentially a little robot. Makes it seem like what you were doing was only valuable in as much as the company could use you as a as a tool. Yep. You know, and that I think is very uncomfortable for people. And so, Mm -hmm. people realizing, or I think people finding out, or thinking that, oh my God, you know, um, the skills I had weren't really valuable. It was just the brute force that I could bring to this or whatever you want to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very uncomfortable. I can, I can definitely see how that would not be um, a positive thing to have happened to somebody just kind of like you said, existentially, you Yeah, know?
2: for sure. I mean, like you find out that this machine can do your job just as well as you can or better.
1: Right. Like right. That's,
2: it, that's not comfortable. Yeah,
1: no. And, but I mean, and it also seems to kind of take over, I think, the thing that's funny, though, so one of the one of the machines that I always kind of harken back to whenever I think about this uh, these applications is it a it's a I'm going to leave it as a nameless pharmaceutical company in the in a New England state um, where so the joke in like biomedical research or biotechnological research is that you better be really excited about and really like pipetting things into <laughs> little jars, right? Because that's what you do a lot uh-huh. of the time. It's like you know, in my lab, when we had undergrads come in, the first thing that we had them do was like, you know, um, they would make solutions or they would, you know, do dishes or whatever. Um, you know, it's kind of like rote stuff. In a bio lab, it's like, well, you're they're going to be pipetting all of our stuff out. Um, I'll, I'll never forget. I went on a tour of a facility and they're like piece de resistance. The thing that they were so excited about was this giant robotic arm that could do like a hundred pipettes, you know, a hundred pipetting uh tests in a or samples in like a, you know a second, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just this big yellow arm that went around the room. It was just like sucking up chemical and depositing it into little jars, and you know, they were like, Look at this, no one at our company needs to pipette anything. <laughs> you know, it was like that's yeah. so cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean it's worth um,
2: pointing out sometimes when you get technology to do some of these jobs, you realize that the job was actually kind of boring and mundane. And you're like, maybe, maybe it's freeing you up to do something more interesting.
1: And that's what I think the ultimate promise has always been right. Yeah. You you train for, you know, 25 years to get a PhD in biomechanical engineering or biotechnology or pharmaceuticals or whatever. You don't want to be spending 80% of your time pipetting things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You'd rather be using that to think and everything else. And I think that for, for people, for I think for people who um, are kind of, let's say, educated or, or more trained, maybe not educated is the wrong kind of word because honestly, like, you know, education suggests something else. But um, people that have been in jobs for a long time and have risen up, I think that robotics has helped them, mm-hmm. you know, but it's more for those kind of – it's more for sort of the jobs that are, um, you know, you don't need a lot of training for necessarily or – you do need a lot of training for and a lot of expertise at doing something but the product itself doesn't seem to be as um maybe the, maybe i don't know not not really worth automating cuz that's not necessarily the case but that the automation isn't almost what you're paying for is the personal touch i'm thinking of things like you know leather shoes that are
3: mm-hmm. um okay. handmade
1: or or guitars you know mm. um or even yesterday was funny i was watching how it's made and I had no idea, but they make basketballs by hand still. Wait, really? Yeah. I was like, what the hell? Did well, not like, that. not, a, not completely by hand, but like, you know, it's one person using a press that like they hmm. cut the leather and then they cut the rubber and then they, hmm. um, they, they put it on a machine to like wind the nylon around it and everything else. But yeah, I was, I was sitting there like, I cannot believe it, there's not a robot to like move the rubber from the one machine to the other, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, It's those weird kind of niche places. And so that that is a case where you think, well, a robot could do that. But again, making something like an artisan, you don't consider that to be uh, robotable or I don't know. Um, That's just so, uh, so, so interesting. Um, Speaking of robots uh, taking over jobs, um, here's a word from our sponsors. we're back so earlier we talked about a little bit about the social aspects of robotics and where you see that field going and sort of what the hope was I guess and some of the effects on populations but I one thing I've always been interested in personally is sort of the history of this field and I guess kind of where it sits or where some of the biggest challenges are because you know um, again from the things that are hard to kind of scale up or the things that are hard to Um, the challenges that are hard to tackle are always really interesting, I think, in these fields. But so the first thing I wanted to ask you, though, really is, I guess, sort of from your own perspective, what is the first... What would you consider to be the first robot or how would you consider, I guess, that to be that term or that idea to have developed over time?
2: I mean, as we said, it kind of depends on how you're defining a robot. But the word robot was uh, coined in 1920... By, um, it was a Czech playwright named Carl Chapek. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. His play was 1920, Rossum Universal Robots, R-U-R. Um, came from the, a word, an old Slavonic word, perhaps, I don't really know, that implied something about servitude and forced labor and something like that. So anyway, Hmm. so the word's been around for a hundred years, Robot. But there have been automatons and machines that might be considered robot-like, going back to probably Aristotle.
1: That's really interesting. So it's mostly a, so the word the word too is robota, which means drudgery or hard. There we work. go.
2: Drudgery. Yeah,
1: just, and it's it's the word for uh, it's the word for work in uh, Russian as uh, a okay.
2: Yeah, that so, goes well with what we were talking about for robots taking over factory jobs and.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's it's an interesting thing. Um, and now we think about robots as like, I mean, yeah, factory things and whatever. We also, I don't know. When I think of robots, I think about like Iron Man and T-T-P-O. Like, uh, Yeah, you know, like AI being somehow uh-huh. part of it as well and everything else, which we, we talked about before, being kind of a misnomer almost. But I wonder, that's interesting that they kind of – so what – all right, so we're at this stage now where we're starting to see robots, I guess, in our homes a little bit, right? You said robot Google vacuum Home cleaners, and robot yeah. vacuum cleaners, and everything else. Um, but where do you, what are some of the biggest challenges, I guess, right now in robotics? What are the things that are keeping us from advancing that if they're solved, um, the public should be excited about?
2: Some of the big challenges, I mean, until recently, and perhaps still now, at least with. Children, it's been understanding language because people communicate. Communicate. People communicate with language more than anything else. I mean, there's all the nonverbal stuff that goes with it, mm-hmm. but understanding what people say and the context in order to communicate something about whatever's going on in whatever context you're in—that's probably the hardest thing because language is. And that's that's has a couple parts. One is actually understanding what what words mean. But the other is things like automatic voice recognition. I mean, you can dictate to your phone pretty well. Um, Things like Alexa and Google Home, we're getting better at having voice assistants that will pick up what you're saying and give you a response. That's probably reasonable most of the time. Mm. Um, Fond memories of listening to some three-year-olds try to tell Alexa to turn on the lights. And they're like, Alexa, turn on the lights! And like, oh, nothing's happening. (laughs) Because... Because it's not picking up their language,
1: right? It's not understanding what they're saying, right. right? Of course, yeah, yeah. Right.
2: I mean, and that's not even getting to the problem of understanding what words mean, which is hard or for a whole, humans sometimes. Yeah,
1: whole other can of worms, <laughs> right?
2: So, so a lot of the challenges are technical. I mean, because we can make, um, like because you don't have to make a robot that's humanoid to be useful.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So like, I don't think the Like robotic mechanical problems. I don't think the mechanics of building a robot is the hard part right now. I think that's easily solvable. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Like, people can make robots that move in interesting, useful ways. I mean, it depends on what you're building it for, I suppose. But I think it's all like the technical, like, how do you make a robot that can understand what people are saying in a useful way and Mm -hmm. respond in useful ways? There's a lot of AI that goes into this. um, And that's a whole of worms there
1: right so it's okay so it's more the it's more that intersection area between if we wanted to make a robot that could move like say c-3po or whatever we probably could i
2: think you can do that
1: yeah right but it but the problem is getting it to do the things that yeah, we would like do it the to.
2: things you wanted to do in a way that's like understandable and useful and interesting
1: got it okay interesting yeah it's one it actually is one kind of funny thing i'm always surprised in my day job we use a lot of um kind of data you know data digging and computerized methodologies and all this other kind of stuff and that seems really robust and everything else and so i'm always surprised when like say with google my, my wife loves google home and i'm always surprised when i tell google home like to play something on spotify it'll pick the the it seems to be programmed to pick the worst possible version of the song i want <laughs> you know it's like mm-hmm. oh i you know i wanted to hear the other day um what did I want to hear? Oh my, I'm going to drive my wife crazy with this. I wanted to hear nine to five by Dolly Parton. Okay. It's just been stuck in my head, like nonstop. Mm-hmm. And uh, every time you ask Spotify to play nine to five on or you ask Google to play nine to five by Dolly Parton on Spotify. It plays some live version. That's like far inferior to the regular version. Mm. Terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's, that's really interesting. So I agree with you though. I mean, at least for my own personal life, I can see that being the challenge is getting it to do what you want. Um, do you think that there is kind of a minimum size? Do you think that there's a size limit, I guess, to what could be considered a robot? I'm thinking about things like, say, nanobots. Mm. Um, you know, I mean,
2: there's probably not. I don't know. I don't know much about nanobots. Okay. My experiences with robots that are about the size of a large teddy bear.
1: Okay. Okay. So so okay. So we're talking like teddy bear sized.
2: Yeah. So teddy bear Actually, and most of them are covered in fur as well. The ones that I've worked with. Interesting. To make them more friendly and accessible to children. And also, um, actually, this is an interesting thought about morphology of robots. None of the ones that I've worked with and none of the ones designed by the Personal Robots Group at MIT, none of them are humanoid. <clears throat> they're all designed, the ones that we have for like preschool kids, you know, three to five-year-olds, they're designed to be cute, fluffy creatures that look more like a character that popped out of a Dr. Seuss book than something that looks like a robot. Like it looks like a stuffed animal almost. Okay, like stripes, bright colors,
1: fur. Interesting. So, what is do you do you purposefully stay away from humanoid features for some reason? Like, is it because of something like say the uncanny value? or is it just yeah? Because actually, more I mean tiny? that's
2: that's part of it is because when you see something that looks say like a human, or if you see something that looks like a dog, there's like the eyeball robot dog is popular. You know, if you see something that looks like something you're familiar with, you expect it to act in certain ways, and your expectations about it will determine like how you interact with it whether you're you know disappointed by it um it's so, like if you get a robot dog and it doesn't really act like a dog you're like well this is a pretty bad robot dog but if you have a robot that looks like this fluffy weird creature to acts like i don't know something you're like cool it's a robot
3: mm, okay
1: so it's more so about a lot of it's
2: about setting expectations
1: that's really interesting it's yeah. such a weird that's such a weird thing actually yeah i i um i <laughs> It's funny you mentioned those, the robot dogs and everything else. Those like videos that always come out. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause yeah, I actually hadn't even realized to myself that if, you know, if you look at them as kind of like what they're designed to do, they're operating phenomenally well. Right. Yeah. But in your head though, yeah, you're like, this doesn't look like a dog,
2: but that doesn't really? matter. It doesn't really act like a dog. It's, it's not like, oh, supposed oh. to yeah, chasing that ball. It's like,
1: <laughs> right. But it's like, it's not supposed to be a dog. It's supposed to be a robot. Um, Man, that's interesting. So it's so weird. Like, I mean, what would you say – I guess what do you think are going to be the biggest developments? If you had to – and I know being in the kind of um, – being in sort of the scientific uh, prediction game is always impossibly challenging because you never know when something happens or whatever. But if you had to guess what the – say the biggest change we'll see to social robots in the next 10 years – is there a social robot you think that we'll start to see in our life, like in our daily lives in the next 10 years?
2: Um, or, based on or, or what, what I know is being developed by people in research labs and startup companies, we're going to be seeing more in education and healthcare for sure.
1: Okay. So you think that those will be the biggest areas where we see those things?
2: Um, I think those are some of the areas, like healthcare in particular, are some of the areas where we have the largest need for
1: okay.
2: intervention of some kind. And technology, like social robots, is one of the ways that we're going to try to fill that need
1: interesting so what are what are some of those needs
2: so like you know like um like in nursing we have huge aging populations i know in japan there's a lot of research groups working on robots that can help in all sorts of different ways with their well, aging that makes, populations that makes because, a lot of sense yeah sure um it's so like nursing assistance. like i mentioned the teddy bear robot that's like interacting with kids um like facilitating their interactions with like their time in the hospital there's so Corey Kidd, who was a graduate of the Personal Robots Group at MIT, like he has a startup, Catalia Health, um, where they've got this robot, Mabu, that's designed to like support people for like long periods of time with a variety of different health conditions. It looks like they're working on a project now around like there's some like heart disease related projects. There were some mm. around goodness i don't know where on those interesting. that well i'm says. even thinking but anyway,
1: yeah, I'm, I, yeah but that's really interesting i'm even thinking say things like i mean just after i asked that question i was like well duh there's all kinds of things i mean i'm thinking for my own personal life yeah. you know um hey remember to check your blood pressure today or remember yeah, to there's, there's your, a lot of different you know,
2: ways that you could use right a robot to support people in remembering to do different activities or like there's i mean there's work from like 10 years ago that came out of our group um research group looking at how like the robot versus like a paper log or versus like a computer program could support people like with their long-term weight maintenance goals um Hmm. just like having a little social interaction helps help help people stay motivated help them stay on top of their goals so there's a lot of different ways that you could incorporate a social robot into different parts of a healthcare process
1: cool okay and so if you had to pick so this is another thing we always like to ask kind of scientists that come on the show and talk about their work. If there is one myth or one, I guess, kind of frequent, uh, frustrating thing in the media or out there in the science fiction world or whatever that you see about your field, what would you want people to know about it? What myth would you like to see busted?
2: We've already talked about it. The robots are taking my job. Okay. Also, they're taking over the world.
1: Right, sure, okay. Yeah,
2: I mean, for the taking over the world part, I mean, if you have a Roomba, you've probably seen it get stuck on the carpet or, like, on the little lip between, like, the carpet and the wood floor.
1: Yes, every yeah, day, like every the, day of my life.
2: The robots, I just go up the stairs, the robots can't get you. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, well, did you ever see that thing? There's a really funny, there's like a really funny, um, I think it's just a photo or whatever, but it's a robe, it's a Roomba with like a knife duct tape to it. Yeah, right. And, you know, it's like the death Roomba. I mean, but, you know, but at the same time though, I think there is something to be said about, um, or there is something, but this is, this is again, more of a human problem, not the robot themselves yeah. necessarily, but like, let's say like Google home, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that thing is listening all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, but that is something that we accepted when we brought it into our home.
2: Right. Um, like my, my life insurance company or home insurance company gave us an Amazon Echo because they made an app for it about, like, home safety or something.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We don't plug it in. Like, we, don't, we don't have, like, an Echo sitting there listening to us all the time.
1: Interesting. Okay. Part of that
2: is because of like, concerns about data and privacy and security because I think that's kind of more of a bigger problem. And right it's and the people that are the problem more right. so than like the robot because like we're the ones building and designing and programming these things.
1: Right, it's not like they can. I mean, but that's and that's ultimately the fear, I guess. Right, it's more of a fear of almost artificial intelligence than it is yeah. a fear of uh, the robots themselves. Yeah. Although you know, if um, I don't know, I mean, it's it is really really interesting. There's one other thing too that I always, I always wondered with. Um, you know, one thing that's really interesting with these, with robots, I guess, or kind of with the social effect of robots and things like that, that's always been really interesting to me. If how much of that knowledge do you think is sort of um, how much of that knowledge do you think is sort of baked in now to the human population? So I'm thinking, like, for instance, if the the kind of example I always think about is um, my my cousins, my ne- my my little cousins and stuff they all grew up with iPads. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They grew up with phones. They grew up with all these things. And so now um, they're just so comfortable having them everywhere that when they tell me, you know, well, we use this for school in my head, I'm always like, that would be so weird to me. Cause I'm used to a pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess I wondered though, how much of that initial knowledge, that fundamental knowledge, like I'm, I'm thinking shows like, let's say like the walking dead or any of these apocalypse shows where the world, you know, something, tr- something, you know, crazy happens to the world or whatever. And then all that technology gets lost. Mm-hmm. Um, how much I guess of like, do, do you feel like people are, fu- are, are adequately knowledgeable about robotics um, just in their daily lives, I guess, do you think it's something that we should be teaching kids?
2: Yeah. So I think that while kids interact with technology in very different ways than we did when we were kids, because they have a very different kind of technology, very different relationships with technology, very different understanding of what it can do. I don't think most kids have any idea of what it can do. Uh, okay. like the capabilities of like, how AI works, or like mm-hmm. why is it giving them the answers it's giving them? Why, how does it work that way? Um, how can they influence it? Like, there are multiple people in the Personal Robots group at MIT right now working on AI ethics and AI education.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: to teach kids how this stuff works who programmed it because like you've probably seen some stuff in the news about like a bias in ai you know like the what what your training set is what your data set is that you train algorithms on
3: mm-hmm.
2: um really matters and like this kind of stuff like the facial recognition is huge right now it's like a big controversial area because a lot of the facial recognition stuff works really well on white men because that's what's predominantly in the data set mm-hmm. but like works okay. terribly on like you might have seen like the um, like when Google, I think it was Google was training algorithms to automatically like label pictures. It was oh. labeling like gorillas as black men.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah, like, yeah. That,
2: like that is because of their data set and their training set, but that's the kind of thing that's like invisible to most users. Like they don't have any idea how that sort of stuff gets trained or developed. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I think we need more education around.
1: Okay. So how, yeah. so actually, right. So actually, like,
2: how does it actually work? Why is it doing this? Like,
1: yeah. Yeah, cuz you know what I'm what I'm thinking is and we see we I saw this a lot in a previous job and we hear about it a lot is things like, you know, um you got a you got a plant that's running um like a chemical plant that's running humming along fine for 20 years. Mm-hmm. The guys that initially helped kind of run it and, you know, whatever decide to retire and then the new batch of people who come in um you know, whoever the new floor manager is or whoever's running the machines or whatever, like he or she is like, well, it works this way, but I don't know, you know, I don't know why we picked this initial pump. Right. Right. Or I don't know why we did this other thing Mm -hmm. that, um, that kind of institutional knowledge gets lost. Mm -hmm. And over time, it just kind of gets baked in. I think that's, yeah, I, I don't know. It, It just seems like such an interesting thing. I wonder, just like with, let's say chemistry where, um, the stuff that we feel is appropriate to teach high schoolers gets more and more advanced as the years go on. Cause our, you know, kind of what they need to know to understand the world gets more and more advanced. I wonder if I've, I've always been surprised that I didn't, I went to a very kind of technically um, focused high school mm-hmm. and the amount of knowledge on robotics that I got was from like being in the Lego robotics club, oh, okay. you know? Um, but that was it. You know, yeah. and then I, and then I got all the way through a Ph.D. And I feel like I know nothing about robots or how they work.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't learn any computer science until I got to college. I had no idea what it was.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's <laughs> I, I mean, it's just so interesting. The way I, mean, that I was it
2: homeschooled did. and didn't realize that there was something interesting. At some point, I was just like, hey, you know, I'd like to know how computers work. You know, I'm sign up for a class on it.
1: Right, right, right. Oh, it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's going to be crazy. I'm just hoping. So what? Are, OK, so I always make this joke on the show. And I was about to make it to you, and then I was like, "Wait a second! She knows enough to know that this is a stupid joke." Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how close are we to uh, robot bodies?
3: <laughs> and I know we're not close for, enough. Like people?
1: Yeah, like if, like, let's say, like, I decided, you know, if I started right now just eating cheeseburgers for the rest of my life, am I gonna make it to like being able to put it be put into a robot body?
2: No.
3: Yeah, I know.
1: I know I won't, but it's so, it's so depressing. But there's
2: some really cool stuff around like robotic prosthetics that's going on in like uh Hugh Hare's group at the Media Lab. There's some okay. really cool stuff with like the kind of things they can do now, which sure, is different like, than getting a robot, but it's a little bit more like being a cyborg.
1: Right, right, right. Which I mean, it would be fine too, I guess. I just, you know, I uh, just can't wait. I can't wait. Anyways, no, really, uh-huh. really, really interesting. It was great having you on. Seriously, thank you for taking the time to talk to us and, and share your story with our listeners and things. Yeah. Um, fun,
2: fun chatting about this stuff.
1: Yeah. I, I had a super good time. Um, Anything else you'd want people to know? Where can they find you? Where can they find kind of your research work? Um, anything
2: else? Um, you can find links to pretty much everything on my personal website, J a K O R Y.com.
1: Cool. Okay. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Of course, as always, you can find
2: me on Twitter. Yeah. All that stuff.
1: Perfect. Great stuff. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. And uh, thank you, dear listeners, for spending another hour with the Mad Scientist Podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co host,
0: Marie Mayhew.
1: If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at Mad Scientist Pod or at Team Giant Squid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it.
0: we love doing that.
1: We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks
2: again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production.
0: Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates,